I want to show a video that's going to be 13 minutes, and it's going to be an audio video. And it's a video, it's an audio, excuse me, presentation up on the big screen of Bob Jones. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Bob Jones being passed away. He went to be with Jesus to his reward uh, about a month ago. Anyway, we lost two big, great, and well-loved generals in the kingdom of God over the past couple of months. And that, that both of them hit me pretty hard because I love them and I miss them already. Uh, one of them was Steve Hill, the evangelist at Pensacola uh, Revival in Brownsville for so many years. Uh, but this one, Bob Jones. How many of you are familiar with Bob Jones, the prophet Bob Jones? Okay. Um, Bob Jones had a vision in 1975, this is going to speak of his vision. Now, it wasn't actually a vision. It was being caught up to heaven. He was in a car accident, and he'll explain a little bit of it at the beginning. So um, if some of you have uh, a little bit of an ick on the inside for some reason, I think you're going to really like this one. And, uh, and I can understand why people wouldn't like a man that's a prophet, probably because they think it's a little... Uh, out of place today in, in the church, but it's not. Prophets are all around us. They exist. They are for real. And they are just as for real as pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles. But this one is a blessing. Receive, Jesus said, receive a prophet because he is a prophet. And what will you get in return? The prophet's reward. You know what a prophet's reward? I, I, I thought about that. I prayed about it. I said, Lord, you got to show me. What is a prophet's reward? And he says, what do you receive as a prophet? I said, oh, Lord, my portion is sweet. Revelation, dreams, visions, blessing. You receive a prophet because he is a prophet. That is the prophet's reward. And I've not had anyone through the years in discussing that. I've, ha- I've heard no one add to it or subtract from it. I really believe that that's what the prophet's reward is, that everything that they receive from the Lord, not just for your life, but everything in their life will be a blessing to you. Amen? So I want you to, to, to receive this, and, and you'll, I think you'll be blessed because he asked, there's, there's two parts to it, it's 13 minutes, and the first half, the first half he asks a very penetrating question, and that's what I want to speak to you about this morning in the remaining time afterward. My name is Bob Jones. On August the 7th of 75, while driving in an auto, a light came in the auto and began to prophesy to me of the things that would take place in the future, of a homosexual disease that could not be cured, of all the way that technology would begin to perform abortion, the uh, social diseases that would come, where men would literally be faithful to their wife but fear by the year 2000. Later, the enemy appeared to me and told me that if I shared these prophecies, that he would kill me. He'd give me a peace if I just not share these. And I told him, I'm not your property anymore. I'm going to share them. So I began to share them. I went out to work one day after sharing it. I got hit really hard and they rushed me to the doctor. The doctor said, get me in a hospital. This man is in bad shape. I've never seen this before. So I said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die at home. 
So my son and Viola, they took me home and they laid me in a bed. And awesome pain came. Then all of a sudden, a blood like a fountain began to flow out of my mouth. And I wrapped a wet towel around my head and the pain increased and all of a sudden, there was no pain. Just instantly, the pain stopped and my spirit and my body was disconnected. And I found myself in a tunnel, in a cave. I looked at the entrance of that cave and there was the most beautiful man I've ever seen. He was full of light. It was light and light. I knew instantly that I had died. And I cried out, I wonder how Satan killed me. Then my second thought there, I could, I could think there as plainly as I do here. My second thought was, oh, Lord, I come out of such deep sin. Is my robe clean? And the paraclete that stood beside me, I've never been able to see his face. And he spoke to me and said, you can look now, Bob, and see. I looked at my robe, and it was white. And I said, oh, Lord, this is the best day I've ever lived. For I died doing what the Lord told me to. I didn't die in any sin clinging to my robe. And I'm going to Jesus. And as I drew close to the Lord, he would speak to people. Did you learn to love? That's the only thing he ever asked anybody in that line. And as I drew close to the Lord, I saw two lines. The line to the left was about 98 to each two that was in the line on my right. And those on the right was going to the Lord, but those on the left was going past the Lord. And many of them was wrapped up in their sod. Their yard had been their God. Some was wrapped up in dollar bills like mummies. Money had been their God. Whatever their God was is what they were going to hell for all eternity with. I couldn't look at them anymore because their eyes, all of a sudden, when they looked on Jesus, they knew he was real. They knew they had denied him. And all their memories of when they had been witness to on the earth about Jesus, they knew it immediately. And I couldn't stand to look at the shock on their face. So I turned back to what was happening in my line, and I saw a large black lady. And she had nearly a hundred angels with her. I asked the Holy Spirit, the one that stood beside me, why so many angels? And he said, she was an awesome minister in her day. And she's coming home to her reward. And I saw the Lord speak to her and say, daughter, did you learn to love? And she put both hands up and said, yes, Lord, I did. And he kissed her right on the lips. And he put his arms around her. His heart opened up like double doors. And she went and all them angels, she was gone. She went right into the heart of Christ.
The next thing was a young girl about 11 years old. Uh, the Holy Spirit said she had been crippled all of her life. Especially the last three or four years of her life, she was bedfast. But all she did was pray. And when she came to the Lord, the Lord looked down at her and asked her, Did you learn to love? And she said, Yes, Lord. And he grabbed her and pulled her right into his heart. And she was gone. And the Holy Spirit said, There's few that's been as great as her. Then I saw the third one was a woman. She had died at 93. She had died of crippling arthritis where she had been in the bed for years. She was a woman that for over 50 years had known arthritic pain. And the Lord asked her, Did you learn to love? And she said, Only you, Lord. I got widowed and bittered when I was very young. And I attended the church all the time, but I did a lot of biting of the saints. And the Lord said, Yes, you did. But you're saved by grace. And you have no rewards, but you will be in heaven. So he kissed her, and then she went, and I was next. And, boy, I was puckering up because it was my day. It was the greatest day that I'd ever lived up to that day. And I was ready because I had learned to love. By the way, you're not born with love. You must learn to love. So as I came to the Lord, he said, wait, Bob, I want you to go back. And I said, Lord, I don't want to go back. I'm not doing any good up there. And he said, you're a liar. For he said, I gave you my word and you spoke it. And my word can never be voided. And you did speak it. And I said, but Lord, there's persecution and pain up there. I died in great pain. And everybody was persecuting me. And he said, yes, I know, Bob. And you've always been cowardly too. I'll take you in if you look at that line over to the left. If you can stand to look at that line in the left and want to come in, I'll take you in. And as I looked to the left, I saw all of those lost. It was going to hell for eternity. And the look on their face was a look that I still see it now, how that their eyes and everything, and, and their face was drawn. And they had no hope, for they had denied him. Then I turned to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'll go back. I'll go back for one soul. And the Lord said, Bob, you're going back for more than one soul. For when you were in the Baptist church... You've had a love for souls. That was your main thoughts was leading somebody to me. But I'm going to send you back so that you can go to the leadership of the church that's raising up now and prepare them for a billion souls I'm going to bring to myself in one of the greatest awakening of all times. I looked into the face of the Lord and I said, Lord, I'll go back. I'll go back for just one soul. I'd go back and die on the cross three days for one soul. And the Lord said, Bob, I'm sending you back to prepare the people for I'm going to bring in a billion souls into myself and one great harvest. And most of them are going to be youth. They were trying to kill my anointed deliverers when they legalized abortion in uh, 73. 
and those that are born at that time will be some of the greatest deliverers of all time. For they killed the babies when my deliverer Moses was born. They killed the babies when I came to the earth in Bethlehem. And when they started legalizing abortion in America, it's because Satan wanted to kill my deliverers that I was birthing at this time. And he said, when these deliverers are 30 years old, which will be 2003, they'll be loosed in some of the greatest priestly ministries you've ever seen. They'll be literally like anointed priests. They'll come forth, and they'll come forth by my revelation and by power. And he said, by the year 2000, there'll be 5 million people that's died of AIDS that year, and that's how many died in 2000. And he said, by 2000, there'll be 6 billion people on the face of the earth, and I'm going to bring 1 billion up to myself starting at that time. But the year that is a really key year is 2003 because my priesthood, my anointed priesthood, will be 30 then. And they'll become the leaders of what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to do it in the parks, in the uh, ballparks, in the streets. But most of all, in just open fields, I'll begin such great conferences. It'll take several different ministries in different places to meet the needs of the people. And I'm going to begin to bring youth without number to myself. And so I said, Lord, I'll come back. And he said, go back and prepare my people that if they want to serve me, they need to hear from me. They don't need to hear through somebody else. They need to hear from me, and I'll send people like you to confirm what I've spoke to them. And so he sent me back. And I come back in the same body that I was in. And I came back and I saw two great angels there. And I've learned through now that they were the resurrection angels. There's always two angels in the resurrection. And they began to prophesy to one another. And there was a death spirit behind them, but he couldn't touch me anymore. They forbid him. And he left. And as they prophesied to one another, they said, look. And I saw what I took to be an atomic explosion in the heart of Kansas City. And I said, we're going to be nuked. And the angel said, no, that's the second atom or the last atom's bomb, B-A-L-M. And I'll begin this thing with praise and healings like you've never seen before. Every place will be like a light that people that are in darkness, it'll turn their light on. I said, it's begin here. How long will it take to go around the world? And he said, at the blink of an eye. So it's not a thing he's going to do in any given area. It's every area. There's no place that this second atom or this last atom's light will not go. And it will illuminate and light up the dark places of every continent in the world. It will touch youth to where youth has no fear, uh, no fear of death. They'll be so anointed, they're going to take it every place. And if you kill one of them, a dozen will raise up in their place. You kill a dozen of them, then a thousand will raise up. You can't stop them. And this is youth that no demonic force on the earth is going to be able to control. They'll be the greatest headache the enemy's ever seen.
Have you learned to love? Isn't that penetrating? And by the way, the things that that Bob Jones was shown in heaven have already taken place around us. Many of the major ministries, such as IHOP, is one of them, and a lot of other major ministries that have come out and have been outreach ministries and powerfully anointed ministries were part of what he prophesied. They believed it and ran with it. But whether I believe in any of that or not really doesn't matter except for that question. That has been rattling around in my spirit, jingling in my spirit. And so I can't say that I've prepared for this message, but rather this message has prepared me. Is when I saw this, a friend sent it to me and and I played it on YouTube and I'd probably have heard it before, but it really just you know, it was for this time in my life. And it really, really is a penetrating question. Would you turn with me to first John chapter four, verse twenty? If anyone says I love God, yet hates his brother. He is a liar. Let's downplay hate just a little bit. Because Christians don't hate. They don't hate people. They don't even hate the devil. Right? I do. Not people. Maybe there be some that we don't like too much. Maybe there be some that don't deserve for us to love them like we would someone who does nice things and is nice to us all the time, who helped us in an hour of need. Yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Jesus said, if anyone has spoken a bad word in hate for his brother, he has murdered him. That came back from the days of Cain and Abel. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Has seen, but he can't. He cannot love God whom he has not seen. There is a difference there. If you want to gauge your love for God, it is accurately gauged by this scripture by how much we love people. How can we not love a brother who we see can feel, can speak to? How, how can we love them except for God in His heart, in ours? But to say that we love God whom we haven't seen and, and not love someone that is right next to us. Lord, who is my neighbor? Remember that one? Who is my neighbor? That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans were unloved. They were, they were dogs to the Israelites. And so when Jesus said, this man was good, that offended some people. It was years ago that I went to a family camp over in Gaylord, and Judson Cornwall was there, and Vicki and I had 
read his books and been blessed by his ministry through the years. So when Judson Cornwall was there, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be there. Uh, we were kind of close, so just on the default side, it made it easy to go. And uh, so we went, and I, I was really excited about listening to Judson Cornwall. He was talking about our love for God. Do you love God? It can be gauged, you know. And he spoke of, he spoke of the awesomeness of God's power, the awesomeness of God's love. And he, he used the illustration of power lines. And you look at those, those power lines, you know, if you're anywhere downstate or you've seen the really big trunk lines, you know, the really big ones, the big 750K, the, the ones that on, on the, in the right moment, if you take a fluorescent bulb, you can go underneath it in the dark or in a hazy, very humid, rainy, kind of misty day. You can hold that thing going under. You can hear them humming. You can hear them humming. Good thing they're up there. We're down here, but you can hold that fluorescent tube, that bare fluorescent tube in your hand, and it will light. It knows when power is there. That's some incredible power. And this is what Judson said in that moment. He says, the love of God is that way. The love of God has gone out on transmission wires all over the earth from great sources and energies of power. I call them revival units. That's what I've called them. And power has flown out carrying the love of God to places. But it, but it is only current when it is received and returned back to the Lord. That's what makes power flow is when you take the positive and the negative and bring it together. The neutral and the hot, as an electrician we called it. The white and the black, or the black and the red and the white. That power only flows. The Lord has sent it out, but it only flows and is made perfect, complete, when it's returned to Him. And so as we gather together, it is no wonder to have the Spirit of the Lord flow in the midst because love is flowing. Do you love God? It can be gauged, you know. Just like they put a power meter on your house. It's gauged by how much you love each other. That's how you know you love God, when you love each other. <laughs> it's very simple, but it's so profound. Forrest Gump. Have you, have you seen that movie? And Vicki knows, when it's on TV, I watch it. No, it's not corny. There's some profound things in there. This is, having, having a prophetic eye, every time I watch it, it hits me really hard. Because I see a man who never asked for a material thing in his world. He has never asked for anything, and yet everything flowed through him. Nothing that he asked for was entirely, entirely poured out on his life. You've watched the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But the one thing that he wanted, he never received. He just got a whole bunch of stuff that really to him didn't mean anything to him. Not really. Oh, that's a crazy movie. But there's a message in it. The one thing that he wanted, he didn't receive, and that was for his Jenny to love him. My Jenny. That's my Jenny. 
she never returned his love. And there's one point where, in the movie, where she walks out on him again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, it's, it's tearing me up. Because I, I hear God. He put the ability in us to love. And she wouldn't have anything to do with it. And when she was walking out, another time she's being mean, and she's, she's just walking out, rejecting forced love. He looks at her, and he goes... I'm not a very smart man, but I know what love is. Oh, but I know what love is. Hmm. Do you love God? I was so captured by his love in the early days. He saved me. He saved me. I never got over that. I didn't deserve it. I was a horrible wretch. I had to get high every day. And when I didn't, I'd turn to alcohol. Oh, not that I didn't like that. I was alcoholic too. But worse than that, I didn't know how to love people. Didn't even know how to love my own wife. And that tore me up. And one Sunday, in just very simple repentance, my wife and I, April 5th, 1981, 12.15 in the afternoon, yeah. The altars of that church were loaded with people. My wife was over here somewhere, and I was right here. I was right here. I didn't know what hit me. Until the third day, I didn't expect a vision. Didn't ask for it. It was enough that Jesus saved me from my sin. And I had a night dream. Vision. I don't know if they're dreams or visions. All I know is he was there. And he was looking at me. At the foot of the bed. With a smile. I said, Lord, I'd do anything for you. Oh, in time... He would ask me to do things that I didn't want to do. And he knows this. How many times I've said, God loving you is easy. Loving people, not so. Not so. You ever have people that that say, oh, I love you. And you just want to say back, you sure got a funny way of showing it. As a youth pastor, sitting with my pastor, I got ripped to shreds by a mean, bitter man. He brought in a list of everything he wanted to clean clock in front of my pastor. And I was like stunned. 
And I, and when he was done, I looked at him and I said, Dick, can you forgive me? Well, I've already forgiven you. It really, it's like, okay. I said, thank you. And about that time, my pastor says, Rip, you can be dismissed. And I then went out. Yeah, I went, I was, I was shattered. I was crushed. That broke me. It broke me. There were two things that I that I promised myself and promised God that day is I will be sensitive to other people. I will do my very best to know what it is that's hurting them. And I want to help them. And the second thing that I declared was, I will never be like that. So he walks out of the office and... You know, the next day it was really rough coming into the into the office, and my office was right next to my pastor. My pastor, that's Pastor Jeff Halavin, which some of you know him. He's still a very close friend of mine. I was just talking to him the other day. Jeff, how you doing? We have such things that we can laugh over, and that's one of them. After I left the office, he looks at, at this man and he says, Do you love him? He says, well, of course I love him. Got really indignant. And Jeff looked at him and he says, you sure got a funny way of showing it. (laughs) Oh. Do we not all get beaten up? Do you know that's biblical? I ain't saying it's right. I'm just saying it's biblical. Paul said, through many trials and tribulations, we come into, we must go through trials and tribulations in entering the kingdom of God. Yeah. Oh, that. Right. You know, factor it in. Factor it in. Do you love God? Oh, you can gauge that. You know how much love is misunderstood among Christians? You know, the people, the children of light, the people who serve the God who is love. You know, God is love. That's, that's love personified. Aren't you glad? You know, the one that throws lightning bolts with his little finger? Wow, you think, you think 750 kW is pretty strong. Try a lightning bolt. You do not get hit by a lightning bolt and live If you do, you can swear that God touched you. I had one one hit three feet away from me when I was about 10 years old. Oh, I've got incredible stories, but I all say, Lord, if it wasn't for you. (laughs) That got my attention really quick. I saw Jesus when I was four years old, and I was running from him. I was thanking God that he wasn't mad at me because he could have killed me at any time he wanted but I learned that God doesn't kill, the devil does. But all he has to do is just pull back his hand of grace and say, oh, you reap what you sow. Aren't you glad of God's grace? We misunderstand what love is sometimes. And if you are of an analytical 
That's the good part of that persona. Of the analytical personality and mindset, do know that critical goes right along with it. Fight that with everything that's in you. I know, that's me. I'm speaking from experience. Fight it. Fight it. Because you usually end up showing love in strange ways. <laughs> but can I tell you, look, I, you know, I, I was going to ask for, for um, my good brother Larry back there to put up Galatians 5.22, but I was just sitting here going, oh, look, it's right here. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit whose first name is... Yeah, there are a lot of spirits in the world, but there's only one whose first name is holy. Did you, you probably didn't catch it, but when, when Bob Jones was relating, when he went to heaven, he says the paraclete was standing next to him. Did you catch that? It's not paraclete, it's paraclete standing right next to him. You know what paraclete is? Paraclete is, is Greek for the comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, for the first time I saw him, and he was standing right next to me. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. He loves living in us. He told me one time, I love living in this tabernacle, and I was instantly caught with tears. I I couldn't believe it. Really? And because of the Holy Spirit living in us, this is what He causes to come out of us for each other. Not for us and God. For each other, right here. Fruit that others can eat and be nourished in a heavenly way. What's the first one? Is there any mistake in listing that one first? Oh, but I want you to know that there's a whole lot more to it. Okay? <laughs> the greatest of these is love, joy, peace, First Corinthians 13 last verse of the chapter. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I was just looking at this the other week and I'm thinking, no, wait a minute, there's gentleness and self-control in there. Does that mean to show me, Lord, does that mean that, that sometimes love isn't necessarily what someone could call gentleness? Mm-hmm. Isn't necessarily what could be called kindness? And so sometimes when when, when the, a prophetic word comes, a preaching kind of word comes, from, or, or I, I mean, not even in a church setting, but for someone who speaks a word, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that didn't feel good. That's not love. That brother's not moving in love. That sister's not moving in love. They, why? Because they weren't gentle? Why? Because maybe they weren't really kind feeling at the moment? Oh, they could have said that a better way. I've learned this through the years of being in, in ministry, that doing the right thing is never subservient to how you do it. Get that down in your thinking, and you will be delivered and released from the fear of what others think of you. Do it, I'll say it again. Doing the right thing is never subservient to how you do it. But if you're going to do it, you better err on the side of love. Not be in bondage to what someone thinks you're being gentle or kind. Was Jesus always gentle and kind? Hmm? How about when he overturned the money tables? Was he gentle all the time? 
How about when he's told the Pharisees a thing or two? Called a, a John the Baptist called them snakes. You know, when they came down to the river to see what's happened. You brood of vipers. <laughs> he didn't win a whole lot of people. Was it love? Mm-hmm. It was, because you know, what's more important is where we end up, not how we are being right now at this very moment. That is the, that is the chief thing, is that people be saved. And sometimes we can get real critical because we think, oh, they're not, they're not loving me at all. Sometimes, sometimes love doesn't <laughs> show up in a form that we like, but later on we come around, like when we're children, we come around and we say, thank you, Dad, for spanking me. Mom, thanks for grabbing a hold of me <laughs> by the ear, as it were. And you find out that that was really love. You know, we used to have on our T-shirts way back in the 80s that God loves me the way I am, but he loves me more than enough than to leave me the way I am. Thank God for that. So we have some misconceptions sometimes of what love is. God is love. But you know also what he is? He's jealous. You know, my name is jealous. Do you know that if you are love personified, you will also be jealous personified? How do you like being jealous? Are you real gentle and kind all the time when you're jealous? No, it rips you apart. Jesus was jealous for his father's house, and so he overturned the tables. Now, I'll quote the words of the late, great Steve Hill. He's my hero. Passed away about a month ago. He's my hero in the faith. He said this, We have got a terrible fixation with good taste. Don't we? We, we are fixated. We've got a terrible fixation with this thing called good taste. So that if Jesus were to show up and we not recognize him, we could accuse him of not being gentle, accuse him of not being kind, and therefore he is not love. You follow me? Am I stepping on toes a little hard? I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> love is not demanding. It isn't. Did God ever demand that I be saved? Did God ever demand that I fully realize what he did for me on the cross? No. But he left it up to me to choose. We are living in a day and an age where we need to guard ourselves from this one thing. Now, you may, you may or may not have your, your view on eschatology as I do, the end time views, you know, the last days views, but I know this, that when lawlessness is on the rise, what happens to our love? It grows colder. And so there was a warning that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew, verse 24, verse 12. And Larry will fish around and bring that one up. There it is. Matthew 24, 12. 
Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Wickedness in some other forms and other versions will say lawlessness. My, my cousin Scott is a lawman. I think he's a good one. I was just telling him this morning how, how blessed I am by, by people that carry a badge and uphold the law because without them it'd be like going across the Mackinac Bridge with an 80 mile an hour crosswind and no guardrails law is no good if there's no upholding of it and we're living in a day a day and age where there is lawlessness all over the place lawlessness a genuine outpouring, if you will, an evil manifestation of reprobate minds at work. I see it all the time. That there comes a certain point where the Lord can't save them. Their wickedness is just too great. If they would repent, they would be saved, mind you. But they have gone so far over the edge that the Lord has just said, I knew the day that I got saved. It's telling me about April 5th, 1981. I knew without a doubt that if I walked out of that church and rejected Christ one more time, I heard it whispered in my ear, Rip, if you walk away one more time, this is the last time I will bother you. And I was bothered was bothered by everything the preacher said. I responded and said, Lord, yea and amen. I need you. But there are many people who could care less. They're God-haters. We live in a society of God-haters, don't we? All around us. I work with some. There are people that reject Christ. They're God-haters. And you may say, well, I, I know somebody who rejects Christ and they don't hate God. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you are. And because of the increase of this, people, he says the love of most will grow cold. I looked up that growing cold part. You know, I studied that a little bit in the Greek years ago as a young man in the Lord, and I saw this take place. I saw refrigeration. It was talking about to refrigerate, to make cold, not to just, you know, go from hot, let it set out, and it'll just cool down. It's not calling, it's not the love of most will cool down. It's grow cold. Refrigeration. Now, being northern people, were you here when it was 25 below zero? Aren't you glad that was just a couple weeks ago? <laughs> Did you like that? Oh, come on, tell me again. Did you like that? Because that's what Jesus says, because of wickedness, that our hearts will turn like that. We will, our love will grow cold. Guard your heart. We're living in these days. Guard your heart. Peter says, 
He says, love each other deeply. Ooh, wait a minute. He could have left the deeply part off. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the guy that was chewing me out. Huh? You sure got a funny way of showing it. The Lord wants us to get beyond that. Love each other deeply, 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 deeply. Are we there yet? We have to learn how to do this. It's not something you were born with. This is something we all have to learn to do. But Peter goes on to say, why? Why should, there's a function to this. You know, I, you know, being a guy, there's always a function to this. You know, being a gearhead, it's got to have, like my wife says, output. You know, I, it's, I'm always measuring output. Because love does what? Do you remember this? You remember this scripture that Peter says, no, please tell me you remember this. Because love covers a multitude of, oh, sin, we don't do that anymore. We're Christians. <laughs> you know, we can sin by not doing something, really, as well as doing something. Love each other deeply. Have I preached enough? Tell me you got it so I don't have to go through it again. Isn't God good? Huh? He's so good. One last word. Every now and then the Lord shows up in our lives through a a friend who says something they didn't have any idea what they were saying. Or maybe it's from an angel. You know, Hebrews does say about being kind with one another to strangers because you never know when you entertain an angel without knowing it. So if any of you say, oh, I've never seen an angel, how do you know? You know, people say to me when I said I've seen angels, how do you know? Oh, when you see one, you will know. My friend and I saw one. We were on our our way to uh, backpacking, and my friend Kevin was my worship leader in a church downstate. And, and I told Kevin, I, I thought, Kevin, Kevin needs to get away. He needs to unwind a little bit. Kevin was wound a little tight. And uh, I said, hey, let's go backpacking. Kevin, you ever been backpacking? No. I said, oh, you're going to like this. So we went on our way from downstate up here and to go backpacking over by Atlanta and up and around in the lakes. And, and on our way, we stopped off in Rose City, and I told Kevin, I said, let's stop in Rose City. Let's eat Let's eat at this Dairy Queen right here. This is the last good meal that we're going to have for a couple days. Let's just stop and get some. So we were in there eating our burgers and our fries. And Kevin couldn't see him, but I could. I mean, it's just one of those things where off in a corner sat a little man. He just sat there and he stared at me. He saw Kevin and I bow our heads and, and, and openly pray and give thanks and ask the Lord's blessing of, of peace and safety on our trip out in the middle of nowhere and, and remote places and all, you know, out there with the bears and the raccoons and skunks. And we ate and a couple minutes, you know, into it, probably 15 minutes, I don't know, this, this man comes up to me and he has 
French fries. And sometimes I embarrass myself. Yeah, my wife, you're enjoying this a little too much. He came up with these French fries. And he says, I didn't eat any of these. Would, do you want some? I got a whole plate of them. Kevin's got a whole plate. I said, thank you, sir. And then he looked at me with his eyes on fire. And he stands up straight. And he says, I serve a God who has need of nothing except my love for him. And I just looked at him and I was like, oh. He was an angel. Kevin, he's like, carrying on, you know. And, and, you know, we both said, thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And he turns around and he goes away. And that's all he said. I have since seen him. That's how I know. He met me on a road when I was all by myself, riding my bike. Pulled into a gas station in Mancelona. I was on my way back to Boyne City down the lonely, by choice, highway. I was pretty eaten up on the inside. And he stood. It's that big gas station by the McDonald's. I didn't go in and get fries. I'm coming out, and he's putting gas into his car. My eye caught him. And he caught mine, and we just looked at each other. And he was walking toward me. He had a big grin on his face. And I, and I looked at him and I smiled. And I said, hi. It was the same man. You may think I'm crazy. I don't care. I'm past that. But I'm here to tell you, I serve a God who has need of nothing except my love for him. That has been a part of my being. And because he loves you, I determined to do the same. Amen? Isn't God good? Would you stand with me? Could you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just shut yourself in with the Lord before we go. I won't take a great more moments of time here, but this is an important one. There's no doubt that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you in a particularly profound way this morning. At some point, you have given up. You feel like it's hopeless to love people again because they have so mistreated you. Can I tell you that God understands? And he's here to help you with that, to heal those wounds. But only if you are willing to forgive. Oh, but Rip, you don't know how they hurt me. They don't deserve forgiveness. Now, wait a minute. I'm not asking you if they deserve it or not. The Lord says if you want to be forgiven... You need to forgive others. That needs, that's, 
that is a circuitous flow of the love of heaven that leads to eternity. Are you willing to forgive? If you are willing to forgive, the Lord will meet you halfway and he will grant you mercy, which triumphs over judgment, and he will begin to lift the bitterness and the heaviness off your heart because he has seen how it has weighed you down and has blinded your eyes to the brightness of heaven and its glory. That's you here this morning with a with an upraised hand of declaration, just raise your hand and say, Lord, that's me. I want to forgive others. And I forgive those who have done wrong to me. I let it go. Because you forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you all take this really seriously because what you just did, oh, it's powerful. It's powerful. There is a flow of the presence of God coming your way when you raise your hand and say, I forgive, Lord. Let them go. I've seen people with lists of people that they have offenses And I say, bring it in. I want to meet with you. But do this before you come in. Put them all down on a piece of paper and come in. And I've told them, work through this. Work through this. Work, work. It takes a long time, but work. You can set yourself free through the love of God, through what he has given you. Let it go. Work at it. Get back busy to it. Get to it. Don't don't lay it down. Forgive and keep on forgiving. I don't care how they continue to treat you. Forgive them. Jesus did. Every swing of the hammer. Lord, that's powerful. And it's only possible because of you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I declare a lightened load over your life in Jesus' name. I declare it. A lightness of heart that brings the joy of a warm springtime morning. A lightness of joy that brings the giggles of a grandchild back into your heart. The joy of a neighbor, a stranger, smiling at you and waving for no reason at all except love is now circuitous, running a full circuit in your life. I declare that. Loads are lifted. Burdens are lifted. Wounds are healed in Jesus' name. I declare it. Hallelujah. And Father, I pray above all else, Lord, that we see when we go out these doors to our mission field, Lord, to see with clear eyes those who need the love that only God can shed on them and only the mercy and the grace that's extended through us. Help us 
this week touch people that are hurting and need love, need encouragement in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you as you go. If you have a prayer need, something else, I'm up here. I'm not running out the door. Something you would like, come on up.